Welcome. You're listening to Back Talk Doc, where you'll find answers to some of the most common questions about back pain and spine health. Brought to you by Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates, where providing personalized, highly skilled, and compassionate spine care has been our specialty for over 75 years. And now, it's time to understand the cause of back pain and learn about options to get you back on track. Here's your Back Talk Doc, Dr. Sanjeev Lakia. After almost 20 years of training and clinical practice, I would say that one of the toughest conditions I encounter on a day-to-day basis is that of nerve injury. Whether it's nerve damage from medical conditions such as diabetes or traumatic nerve injuries, And in particular, we see a fair number of nerve injuries in our practice related to spinal conditions, such as a sciatic nerve injury. So it's one topic that I really wanted to dive into deeper and try and provide some solutions or at least stimulate some thought around the matter for those of you listening today, because I know many of you are suffering from nerve injuries. So today it is my privilege to bring to you a guest that I have known now for 25 years, both on a personal and professional basis. He's a master clinician, a scholar, scientist, and educator, and I would argue is one of the top minds in the country, if not the world, on herbalism and natural medicine. And it's my pleasure to welcome to the show Dr. Alan Tillerson. Alan, welcome to the show. Thank you. By way of introduction, Alan has extensive qualifications, and I just want to review these for the listeners today. Uh, and Alan, this is your bio that we just discussed from your website, but f- feel free to add in if, you, if I'm missing anything. But he's a registered herbalist and natural medicine specialist and has been practicing Western and Oriental herbal medicine for over 30 years and a professional member of the peer-reviewed American Herbalist Guild. He holds an accredited master's degree in Asian medical systems and a PhD in, in integrative health sciences. He holds a Delaware medical license to practice herbal medicine and acupuncture and holds a practice, has a practice, Chrysalis Natural Medicine Clinic in Wilmington, Delaware. Alan is known throughout the country for his extensive knowledge and expertise in Ayurvedic medicine and traditional Chinese medicine. He is a master in meditation and Qigong and an author as well. He has published the One Earth Herbal Source book, which I think is a fantastic resource. I've had this for years and I still look at it frequently. He's also put together a terrific online herbal medicine course on his website. He has published a book called Ayurveda in Nepal. And really his accomplishments just go on and on. So he's definitely qualified to speak on the topic. In particular, he has worked as a formulator in the natural foods industry and developed a product he called the Myelin Sheath Energy, which we'll likely get to to today. And then on a personal note, I met Alan, uh, it's been, we are just talking about 25 years now, Alan, and for the listeners, my introduction to Alan was through my own personal medical condition. When I was in college, I had a rather sudden onset of glaucoma, and through combined efforts of terrific ophthalmologists in Cincinnati, Ohio, and through Alan's guidance, I've had a complete recovery and near reversal of any visual field damage. And it's really quite remarkable and unheard of. So 
first of all, I want to personally thank you, Alan, for all the time and energy you've put into my health, the health of my family and friends that I've sent to you through the years. You're very welcome. My pleasure. Did I miss anything you want to add about your background that you think uh, the listeners uh, need to know? No, I think you did a pretty good job there, you know. Well, then let's let's dive into um, some of the questions here. Can you just describe for our listeners what a typical clinic day or week looks like for you so they can get a sense for how you practice? Oh, sure. I usually see about 50 patients a week. Um, I get up early in the morning, maybe around 3.30 or 4.00. I've been doing that ever since I lived in Nepal and learned, uh, kind of got my whole habits changed in that time, living a healthy lifestyle. Uh, and I get to the office. I review all the patient charts, answer emails, do research and study. I do that when there's nobody around. And then I start seeing patients around 7.30 in the morning, and I'll see patients throughout the day, and that goes on day after day. And that's typically what happens. Uh, my wife, Bai Sheng, also works here. She was a former professor of Chinese medicine, and she's also a licensed acupuncturist. And uh, uh, she sees patients and does the acupuncture part for our clinic. Can you inform my listeners what sparked you into the field of herbalism and natural medicine? Oh, sure. Um, back after, back when I was young, in my 20s, um, after college, uh, undergraduate, I thought I was going to travel around the world and, and see things, which is kind of a task because I'm a type 1 diabetic. I got diabetes when I was 10 years old. But I kind of packed up my insulin and food and stuff and, and, and traveled around the world. But then I got uh, deathly ill when I, when I ended up in Afghanistan. I was in Afghanistan, got suddenly got dysentery and blood poisoning at the same time, really sick, started to lose a lot of weight. Um, I'm six foot three, and I, my weight went down from my about 185 down to about 130 from massive sickness. And the, the bus drivers said there was a master herbal doctor living up in Kathmandu, Nepal, which is one of our destinations, and they were going to take me to him. And about a week or so, two weeks later, we ended up in Kathmandu in April where I met um, Dr. Vajra, or Dr. Mana for short, Vajramana Vajra Vajracharya, a herbal master living in Kathmandu where his family had been doing um, Ayurvedic herbal medicine. Ayurveda is the medical system of India and Nepal uh, from father to son uh, for over 750 years. And he gave herbal medicines and basically saved my life. So I got really interested in that. And then... Um, came back. When I came back, I recovered. And then when I came back, I uh, then began to work on my, my master's degree in medical anthropology at Goddard College. And I went back to Nepal again and started studying herbal medicine with him and learning um, that medical system that had been handed down father to son. So that's how I got kind of how I got started. When I came back here, met my wife, who's Chinese, and, and uh, she was, a, like I said, at I was a teacher of Chinese medicine in Chinese medical colleges in China, and we set up this practice and been going that way ever since. And I went back and uh, added a lot of scientific uh, study, too. Sometimes in life uh, we find our career, but other times the career finds us. And I, and I think for you, that, that story is just fascinating. I really appreciate you sharing that, uh, some personal information. And I know we have some physicians listening, and I just feel like it's okay to talk about our own personal uh, health conditions, particularly with our patients. You know, we are 
we're in a high stress field as in, in the healthcare field. And guess what? You know, we do get sick and we do have challenges as well. And I think we can learn through sharing with each other. So I appreciate you sharing that story. Now, you know, when I got back, I went to, at that time, there was no internet. I went down to the local university library in, in Newark, Delaware, and started looking up diabetes and found out that I was going to go blind and lose my feet and develop neuropathy and all that stuff. And that really spurred me to start looking into methods of helping myself. So uh, a lot of it had to do with my own personal needs of not wanting to have all those problems. And I can say now that I'm almost 70 years old and I've been diabetic for almost 60 years. Um, I have no neuropathies, no retinopathies, no kidney problems, nothing. I basically feel healthy and I don't have any of the problems that normal diabetics have, especially type 1 diabetics, because of a very strong health regimen I follow. I still have to take insulin every day because my pancreas doesn't produce any. But other than that, I'm pretty healthy. You're a testament to your own philosophy and practice. So that that's terrific. Let's get into the topic of today, which is healing nerve injuries. Can you give our listeners a basic understanding of nerve anatomy and how nerves function, kind of how you break it down and how you see it? Sure. Okay. Well, the first thing is that um, in the early stages of embryology, three primary germ layers form called endoderm, ectoderm, and mesoderm. And out of the ectoderm, the entire nervous system develops. So one way that I look at the anatomy a little bit differently than other people, and this is a lot of it's based on how they look at the body in Ayurvedic medicine, uh, you could say that the ectoderm, which develops into your entire nervous system, peripheral nervous system, central nervous system, and everything else, and the ectoderm and the mesoderm, which form into um, other parts of your body, that you really only have three organs in your body. You have three organs in your body, and those organs are very large. And what we normally call organs are suborgans. So suborgans would include brain, the central nervous system, the peripheral nervous system, um, the, the, the senses, vision, hearing, etc. So those systems all work in conjunction with each other. And so one of the things you need to do in natural medicine is to make sure that all three of these primary systems are functioning, the neurological system, the endocrine and the uh, metabolic system, and the digestive system, and the, all the developed in the endoderm, and uh, the lungs, the liver, the internal organs, all are functioning together. As far as the actual anatomy of the nervous system, it's very important to know that the body super protects the nerve tissue because it's very easily disturbed. That's why your brain, you have a big, thick skull, and you have the dura and the pia, and you have the, uh, the ventricles, which are like shock absorbers to some extent, and the fluids in the, in the spinal cord. All those things are designed to protect the nervous system. Then the individual nerve fibers are surrounded by a myelin sheath. Myelin sheath is produced by Schwann cells in the peripheral nervous system and by oligodendrocytes in the brain, and they wrap around, and they're... The, the nerve fibers and protect them. But more importantly, they also, we now know, provide nutrients to keep the nervous system healthy. And outside of that, there's this connective tissue, uh, the endoneurium, the perineurium, and, and the uh, epineurium, which are kind of like uh, connective tissue that surrounds and protects. And that also creates a, a problem when you're trying to treat the nervous system because nutrients don't easily flow through both of all of those layers so sometimes inflammation in the nervous system, it takes time for um, nutrients to get in there. So in order to try to heal it, you have to, 
to heal nerve tissue, you have to be able to get to the, to the location. You have to get nutrients, get absorbed into the tissue. There's also little blood vessels in there, too, that supply the nutrients, you know, veins and arteries. And uh, so that's the basic thing you need to know. More import, Equally important is that in the intestinal system, um, which is where you absorb all the nutrients that end up going for all the tissues, a lot of the neurotransmitters are are uh, developed in the intestinal system. So intestinal health is a very large part of keeping the nerve system healthy. Uh, and then there's also issues of circulation, microcirculation, that have to be addressed whenever you're dealing with the with healing nerve tissue. That's a terrific point and one that I talk about with patients in terms of why bones heal faster than nerves. I appreciate you discussing that. Well, yeah, that's the reason that they do. And also, the myelin itself is fatty, and it's, uh, it's composed of sphingolipids, phospholipids, and cholesterols. And the, the inflammation in many nerve diseases and nerve injuries, that inflammation just stays there and doesn't get resolved and starts to tear down the actual nerve fibers, the axons. And, the, and you know, so that issue of chronic low-level inflammation in nerve tissue that's hard to resolve is a big deal when you're trying to solve these problems. And that's why people are so frustrated. If you if you um, cut yourself, you're, you know, the skin will heal in just a couple of days. Connective tissue takes longer to heal. You stretch a ligament or a tendon or something. But nerve tissue heals really, really slowly because of all these protective barriers that make it more protective, but also harder to get to from the uh, external interventions by doctors. You touched on this briefly, but from a holistic viewpoint, what health risk factors lead to the development of peripheral neuropathies or nerve dysfunction in the body? Okay, poor diet, uh, diabetes, uh, chemicals of serious source like chemotherapy is a major cause, physical traumas, sometimes hereditary disorders, infections, um, other sources of, of, of non-infectious inflammation, autoimmune disorders, abnormals in the proteins, spinal issues, exposure to chemicals, um, uh, sometimes, or failure of, of some of your other organs, like kidney failure, uh, or really bad things like chronic alcoholism. Um, those are the uh, kinds of things that um, lead to peripheral neuropathies. So impaired circulation, toxicities, and then, of course, there's trauma, where you can have a fall or an injury that can damage a nerve. Exactly. When, when you see these exactly. different mechanisms, are your principles of treatment different in acute nerve injury versus chronic nerve injuries? Yeah, yeah. In, in acute nerve injury, the body itself is going to try to repair. There's not, and if there's not another problem, there's no diabetes, nothing that's contributing um, to it externally, the body's going to go through a normal healing process. And so you want to stimulate that healing process. And part of that um, is done... Uh, Going back in China, going back a thousand years, martial artists would get these kind of traumatic injuries all the time, and also soldiers would get these traumatic injuries, and they began to look for natural medicine, herbs and things that would um, repair. So um, there's a group of herbs uh, in a formula called Sanxi 17, which is 17 different herbs that have been used in China traditionally for healing nerve injury, for healing injuries of any kind, including nerve injuries, and we oftentimes give that to people after... Um, they've had a trauma as one mechanism for healing. Another mechanism to stimulate nerve healing from traumatic injury, of course, is acupuncture. Um, acupuncture, in my thinking, 
is a um, it's an ancient wound healing system. In other words, the points, you know how like if you have uh, a city and you have different alert systems in different places where the police can get information about problems? So the, these points on the body, um, when you stick a needle into them, the body, because of they're so sensitive, if you touch them, they, they kind of hurt and stuff. So the, 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 the body sends a signal, oh, my God, there's a big injury here, and that mobilizes the, 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 the body to heal. Oftentimes, after an injury or something has taken place for a while, the body kind of stops working on it, and then people end up with these um, problematic long-term issues, neuropathies, and the body's not really working on it, so acupuncture can be used to stimulate that. And once you mobilize the, the, the immune system, the body will start producing neuropeptides and nerve growth factors and, and also bringing in white blood cells to repair the blood vessel or the microvasculature. So it's a mechanism of stimulating that. That can also be done for things that people never even think of, meditation, breathing exercises, all the things that come from yoga or from um, Buddhism and, um, and other spiritual systems around the world have profound effects on the nervous system because they also mobilize um, our natural healing capacity. Humans have a fantastic natural healing capacity if you can mobilize it, you see. And the scientific research to support these strategies has just exploded in the last five to ten years. Um, so everything that Dr. Tillerson has covered has good peer-reviewed literature to support and very safe with low side effects. One thing I would say, though, if you're listening and Alan mentions a product or a supplement, I would advise you that this podcast is primarily for informational purposes. And I would not start any of these supplements or products without the care of a clinician who knows about this or has a bit of expertise with this. So having said that... That's kind of very important because if you're trying to build a house and you really hard to do that, if you don't know anything about how to build a house just by going out and buying a bunch of nails and hammers and, and glue and whatnot and try to build a house, you won't get very far. Uh, people can take care of simple problems um, by themselves oftentimes, but um, when it comes to complicated and nerve problems are very complex, you have to know how to put these therapies together uh, in a proper way, in the proper order, in the proper sequence, um, and the proper dosage in order to produce a result. Otherwise, you'll just buy something off the Internet that somebody's suggesting and take it and it doesn't work, and then you'll get frustrated. Yeah, not, not to mention potential interactions with drugs and other treatments. So in our clinic, Alan, I work at Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates, and we're essentially the largest neurosurgery practice in the country. And we see a fair amount of sciatic and lumbar nerve root injuries from herniated discs, joint arthritis, so what treatment model do you use to address these types of injuries in your patients? So, for example, last week I saw someone who had herniated a disc and developed a foot drop. I also had a patient who fell on their arm and had ulnar nerve injury, and then we see a lot of carpal tunnel syndrome. All of these are different types of nerve dysfunction or nerve injuries. How would you approach these when they come into your office? Well, when somebody comes into the office, I have to do a full evaluation. I evaluate every system in their body, and then I put together a picture of I want to look at the system from the time sequence of when the injury or the external problem started. I look at the time sequence, and I develop a picture of what happened to that tissue. And then, and then when they walk into the office, is that are the muscles around it tightened up? Um, how much pressure is there? Is there arthritis in the joint itself? Are there nerve uh, bone fragments? Whatever is actually physically going on, I have to see that. 
Uh, and then I also um, look at it through a systemic, through system by system by system, going through their body systems, look at it from a different point of view. So you get the time sequence as one trail, and you create a picture of how this problem developed, and then you look at the individual body systems to see what uh, areas of weakness there are that are would be inhibiting or needed to be stimulated in order to produce the healing. So then we could then decide, do they need acupuncture right now, or do they need uh, immediately go to, to surgery, or do they need physical therapy, or do they need herbal supplements or some combination of those things together, and we put together a protocol uh, for them based on that. Now, if there's an underlying arthritis, that gets to a, another area. One of the areas that's problematic in healing injuries of any kind, including the kind we're discussing here, is that many of the medicines that are used for injuries, such as steroids and including NSAIDs, have their own set of side effects and can actually slow down the healing process. So if you want to heal a tissue uh, and then there's a lot of swelling and inflammation, you have to get that out of there and you give somebody a steroid, that'll give them you know, some short-term relief. But it's not going to, it's also going to inhibit the parts of the immune system that do the repair process. So one of the key areas we're looking at these days are there are specific signaling molecules called specialized pro-resolving mediators. And those signaling molecules, which are derived from nutrients, especially oils like coconut oil or fish oil, but need to be gotten into the person in a high enough dose and they start to signal the white blood cells to clean up the debris to start to get the vascular system healed up, to heal up damage to the micro vessels, and then to start to deliver the nutrients to the healing process. There's also the physiology. There's pressure is a big deal. So, you know, that's why manipulations such as osteopathic manipulations or physical therapy manipulations to create space for things to drain away and for nutrients to come in for the white blood cells, that's also a part of it. So if you think of each one of these mechanisms as being um, part of the healing process, when you put them together, you magnify the results. I always say one plus one equals three in natural medicine. When we do give somebody a nutrient for healing arthritis, but you also give them physical therapy or osteopathy or um, acupuncture, one plus one equals three. You get much better results that way. What you said there was fascinating. Can you repeat that? You said Specialized pro-resolving mediators. I have not heard that term. Is it, did I get that right? Yeah. Specialized pro-resolving mediators, SPMs, are um, signaling molecules that are extracted largely from oils like fish oil and from coconut oil and olive oil, that sort of thing. And everybody in natural medicine gives those kind of products as part of the healing process. But as far as 20-some years ago, 30 years ago, Dr. Abel is the ophthalmologist that I work with a lot. Local ophthalmologists, we've been basically partners in the field of ophthalmology for over 30 years. Dr. Abel and I noticed like 30 years ago that when people came into the clinic with dry eyes, we would give them fish oil because fish oil is moistening. And about half the patients, would their dry eyes would disappear. And the other half, nothing. And it didn't matter how long you gave it to them or what dose you gave, it just didn't work. We didn't know why. It turns out that some people who have neurological disorders or inflammatory disorders lack the capacity to properly extract and manufacture or extract these specialized pro-resolving mediators or SPMs from their nutrition, from their nutrients. To give you a very clear example, in multiple sclerosis, you can actually measure these things, okay? So in 
multiple sclerosis, which is a chronic inflammation of the uh, nervous system, myelin sheath in the brain, there, I have a study where they measured the amount of SPMs, or these mediators, in the brain tissue of MS patients is basically zero, which means that the inflammation in that myelin is never going to be resolved because there's no signaling molecules in there to tell the white blood cells uh, to go in and remove the debris, to uh, start to repair the vasculature, uh, and that sort of thing. It's just not available. So these SPMs, or specialized pro-resolving mediators, are a new non-opiate, non-NSAID, both painkillers and tissue repair uh, medicines, and they're now uh, actually available by a few companies. Uh, they know how to extract them, and they're especially useful for people that have inflammation that does not resolve, such as um, uh, like nerve tissue, I said, very slow healing, but also um, autoimmune disorders. The SPMs are a, very, a new and very important part of our protocols for this. They don't replace the other things we do, the other anti-inflammatory. What they do is they add an extra piece to the jigsaw puzzle so we have a more complete Solution. And I know you have an extensive database of articles uh, on research. Anything you have on this topic that you want to email me at, I appreciate it, and we can link to it in our show oh, sure. notes. I will, I'll be glad to email you. I've got about a whole bunch of them, about 30 or 40 articles on this. It's a kind of a, been well-known in the research field. And one of the ways I keep myself up on these things is that I have run an algorithm through Google, which I get up in the morning, like I say, get up early in the morning, and then I run this algorithm through, which then finds me all these articles in the fields that I'm interested in, in the field of natural medicine healing throughout the world. So I've been coupled with 10, 20, 30 new articles every week. On some, and like some of them will jump right out at me as something I've never heard of before, some new nutrient or some new mechanism. Now I put those in my database. I'll be collecting like over 40,000 articles in my database now. That's terrific. Moving forward there, so you just touched on one, but I kind of want to maybe roll these next few questions together. I know you have worked on a customized herbal formula for nerve repair. So I want you to talk about that and just in general talk about other nutritional strategies that you recommend to support nerve repair. Of course. Now, that product is called Myon Sheath Energy. It's only available currently to um, my patients, although there is a commercial version of it out there. But my latest version is available to my patients here. What happened was that back in the ninth, when I lived in Nepal, when I was doing my master's in medical anthropology back in the 1970s, when I lived at the clinic in Nepal I mentioned earlier, an MS patient came in. Uh, he was a British engineer. And even back that far, the British were really, really good with people that have these disabilities. And he was primarily in a wheelchair. He was getting around pretty well. It's really hard to do that in Kathmandu. He was working on... Um, um, a bridge project there, and he was coming into the clinic to see the doctor, uh, the Naples doctor, herbal doctor that I was studying with. And I, he started to treat this guy with herbal medicines, and in the six-month time frame, this guy's capacity to stand to walk went from about five or eight feet with a cane to about 200 feet or more with a cane from this treatment, which really fascinated me. Um, went now I was just a neophyte at that point, but when I in the 1990s, I had a patient come in with multiple sclerosis. I'll give the first name only, of course, for privacy. Her name was Barbara. She's now passed away, but this was about 20-some years, more than 20 years ago, 30, maybe 25, 30 years ago. And she had MS, and I really just didn't know how to treat it, but I remembered what doc, the doctor in Nepal, Dr. Mana, had done. And just by coincidence, about two or three months later, Dr. Abel and I flew out 
Kathmandu to do some research on glaucoma. We wanted to study with these guys, and Dr. Abel is a really great doctor here. He, he was contributed his time doing cataract surgery for free to the Nepalese people at that time. We brought a bunch of corneas in um, from Baltimore hospitals, and then uh, uh, from Johns Hopkins, and we did a lot of surgery. But while we were there, I went to the doctor in Nepal, and I said, remember that patient with MS I saw when I was here 25 years ago? How did you do that? And he said, well, this disease is called Urustamba in Sanskrit, and it's um, treated, it's caused by um, amatridosija, and the treatment process is to use Kaishura Google and Yogaraja Google. So I immediately knew what he said. Translating from Sanskrit, he said, this disease is called Urustamba, which means progressive leg weakness. It's caused by amatridosija, which translated from Sanskrit means poisonous fats, Right, and, it's, and then he gave the name of two herbal medicines, which strengthen the body's ability to process, digest, and remove toxic fatty poisons. So we, today we would call lipid peroxides. And of course, immediately, because I understand anatomy and physiology, I immediately knew what he was saying because I knew the myelin was made out of uh, primarily out of fats, and he was basically saying that the myelin itself was toxic, and that we had to remove the toxicity from the myelin sheath. That is to remove the inflammation from the nerve tissue. That's almost the same as Western medicine, except he was able to do it, you know? So I looked at what he was doing, and I looked at the herbal medicines. When I came back, I put that a formula together and to treat this patient, Barbara, and just like the British engineer, uh, six or eight months before my treatment, I still have the physical therapy report. I got her from being able to walk just a couple of feet up to over 200 feet, which continued until she basically passed away later of old age, something different. And that was my first evidence of being able to treat this. Now, when I look back at it from the herbal medicines that I gave to him, it was all based on oriental thinking, improving, strengthening chi, calming vata, these kind of terms that don't mean very much in Western thinking. But when I look at it now, what I've now discovered from looking at those herbs over the years, that we were actually strengthening the myelin. We're actually strengthening the myelin by strengthening the oligodendrocytes, in this case, in the central nervous system that produced the myelin. And that means improving ATP energy in the, that tissue. And when you looked at the individual herbs, that's the kind of things they do. And we are also improving microcirculation. So the herbal medicine formulas that I developed actually had this healing effect. Now, one of the early things I discovered was that in order to get that medicine into the tissue, it's also important to add alpha-lipoic acid. Because because of the structure of the nerve tissue, because of the way it's hard to get into and, and has that uh, the, that the paraneural sheath, the, the, the connective tissue sheath, and the fatty layers, um, uh, those are both fat. It's hard to have nutrients that are both fat and soluble to pass through that. But alpha-lipoic acid is both fat and water-soluble, so it's able to pass through, and it tends to carry these anti-inflammatory nutrients into the tissue, you see. Yeah, which so, I, I have prescribed uh, that for some of my diabetic uh, patients for, to help with their neuropathy, and definitely seen some benefits. It's extremely good for neuropathy, exactly yeah. correct. That one nutrient by itself is good for neuropathy, but when you add to it nutrients that are healing to the nerve tissue and put those two things together and work on circulation, then that's it. Another issue um, that has to do with multiple sclerosis in this case is that, and this came later in my understanding, but that the immune system normally does not allow these aggressive uh, uh, immune system cells to get into um, the brain because they have, we have what's called a blood-brain barrier, and that's close-packed endothelial cells that wind the blood vessels that feed up into the brain, and those close-packed cells are kind of 
restrictive. They're like a, a guard at a, at a nightclub. They don't let you in unless you have the right pass. But in MS, people have what's called, at early stages, what's called relapsing remitting MS, and then later on it goes to what they call chronic progressive. Why? Nobody ever answers that question. I ask patients why. I ask the doctors that are treating them why. Nobody seems to know. Well, it turns out that research that was done in France that I had seen shows that during the initial MS attacks, there's an opening and bridging of the blood-brain barrier, and some of the aggressive immune system cells can get into um, the immune system, into the brain tissue, and then they, they notice that, that this damage in the myelin, this weakening of the myelin, and then, then they start to attack. And then it closes up, and the MS attack goes away. Sometimes you close it up quickly with steroids. It repairs. And then it opens up again. You have your second attack. But eventually, that blood-brain barrier is weakened enough that it stays open all the time, and then you go into chronic progressive. That's my understanding of it. I could be wrong, but that's the way I understand the sequence of how that process goes, you see? So a key part for MS and some other neurological disorders of the brain, and including the spinal cord, of course, would be to keep vascular integrity in the um, so that the wrong kind of stuff doesn't get in, so that the body's natural filtering mechanism is properly functioning. So it sounds like several mechanisms you've touched on. Number one is improving localized circulation. Number two is reducing inflammatory uh, reaction in the tissues, detoxifying the tissues, and just developing a healthy microenvironment to promote nerve repair. One thing that we struggle with a little bit just in uh, traditional medicine is treating pain. Um, in particular, obviously, the, the country right now is really, really looking at the opioid epidemic and trying to find uh, proven alternatives or suitable alternatives nerve pain as well. Just recently, the FDA put out a, um, a warning on the use of gabapentin. They've documented some cases now of respiratory depression when gabapentin is taken with opioids. So our options, our tools in the toolbox are quite limited from a prescription medicine perspective. So that means patients look elsewhere. And I've had recently, there's a big run on CBD oil. Uh, there's yeah. news about chordialis. Obviously, you talked about acupuncture. What are your thoughts on some of these other options that yeah, open pain, ways to treat pain? Pain relief is a big, big deal. Now, ultimately, pain relief is healing the actual tissue. That's not going to do you any good. If it takes two years to heal your tissue, you're in serious, serious pain. And the opiates, of course, hit the uh, the brainstem, and they slow down the breathing, and basically you die because you stop breathing. You know, That's the big deal. I didn't know about I just heard that you told me that gabapentin has a similar problem. CBD oil, which has anti-pain um, uh, CBD oil and also uh, medical marijuana both have pain-killing properties, but they do not res um, depress respiration, so they're much, much, much safer. Another one, the Corydalis, is a Chinese medicine um, that's been used for pain forever, uh, and Western doctors are working on researching it to find out the key component in it, but we use it right here in the clinic as a pain-killing medicine, which works sort of like an NSAID, but without the side effects of NSAIDs. The reason that NSAIDs have side effects is because of the way that they work. There's three primary, for example, there's three primary um, uh, pathways for inflammation in joint tissue, COX-1, COX-2, and 5-LOX, uh, or cyclooxygenase-1, cyclooxygenase-2, and 5-lipooxygenase. Those three pathways, if you only block two of them, like aspirin or Tylenol does, you end up increasing inflammation through the third pathway. And that's why when you take aspirin, it'll take your pain down in your joints or whatever, but it will also cause stomach bleeding. Or you 
take Tylenol, pain will go down, but you can have problems with your liver or leave. Same things, your pain will go down, but you can have problems with, with uh, blood vessel breakage with your eyes or whatever. That's the reason. So the goal of, of treatment and inflammation is to broaden the and to dampen inflammation down enough so that it's not causing a lot of pain, but also not so much that you stop the healing process. And so the pro-resolving mediators I just talked about earlier, the SPMs, are a new class of non-opiate, non-NSAID painkillers. They actually reduce pain through their process as they work. So they're being investigated now for that purpose. And there are so many natural nutrients that also work as anti-inflammatories without the side effects. Curcumin is one of them. Um, myrrh is another one. We mentioned uh, oic acid. There are so many different natural medicines that have painkilling properties, but the ones that are the strongest, there's also Western medicines that, uh, natural medicines that are known by Native Americans that reduce pain down also. So we use some of those as well. So we have quite a, a variety of these products, and different ones work for different people. Uh, DLL-phenylalanine, which is an amino acid, can often work wonders with reducing pain because it stimulates the production of the body's natural endorphins, you know? So sometimes people with chronic pain, you give them some DLPA and it will help uh, a lot in some cases. So I have about 10 of these things, and which ones I use um, varies depending on the case. And then if something doesn't work, we just use another one. We have a lot of safe ones to use. The other one I would add to that that I've used is actually vitamin D, um, which has a steroid-like effect. And it's not necessarily a substitute for prednisone, but I've read research on it in MS as well, where high-dose, short course of vitamin D under a physician's direction can reduce the inflammation. There's literature that vitamin D deficiency causes subclinical swelling in the bone. So spinal pain, back pain. Uh, so I, I always look to check that for some patients who have... That's a very important one. What you said is exactly correct. We usually use something like 50,000 a day for mm-hmm. a week or so. I don't know what levels you're using for that, but um, that can be very, very effective. Uh, in it, another one is you can just use plain old licorice root. Licorice root also is a, a steroid-like molecule. But we don't use licorice root as a direct painkiller, but we use it because it extends the life of steroids. So... If you have a steroid that you're giving twice a day and you give licorice with it, you can give it once a day and it will stay in the system for that full 24 hours, thus extending, you're using half as much and getting the same result, you see? Again, if you're listening, please don't run out and start taking high-dose vitamin D or any of these products without consulting with your physician first. Uh, they certainly can be helpful, but they have to be done properly and in a safe manner. Another well, fascinating study was, that was done in um, Japan uh, showed that when they cross-checked the pain-killing properties or the anti-inflammatory properties of steroids versus herbal medicine, the steroids were faster and stronger with a lot more side effects, and the uh, herbal medicines were slower, not as strong, but much safer. But when they combined very low-dose prednisone, like 2 milligrams or 2.5 milligrams, along with a strong course of herbal medicines, they could get results that were steroid-like in terms of proper of power, but with much less side effects. If you have that abstract, I'd love to see that as well, Alan. That would be terrific. I, think I do. So we've covered covered quite a bit of information today. Uh, it's quite fascinating. I, I wanted to get inside your mind and see how you approach some of these problems and issues that we encounter on a day to day basis. 
And, you know, the other thing I would say is every time I see you or see a picture of you in 25 years, you look the same. So <laughs> obviously you, you know how to take care of your health. And I always like to close a uh, back talk doc when I'm interviewing individuals. I love to pick their brain about personal health strategies that maybe my patients or listeners can adopt. And you touched on this a little bit before, but how about your your diet and food plan? There's a lot of debate out there about oh, keto sure. and okay. vegan and what have you. What's your thoughts on that? Okay, I have a much more simplified idea. If you look at the work of Dr. Katz, who's the head of the Yale School of Public Health, he did a fascinating study in which he cross-compared all the healthy diets that people always report get them better, and that includes vegetarian Paleolithic, Mediterranean, uh, ketogenic, all these different diets. And what he found was that they all work, but there's a central core to healthy diet that's necessary for them to work. And if you do the central core, the rest of it is not anywhere near as important. And that means real food, close to nature, minimally processed with lots and lots of vegetables. And if you do that without any meat at all and call it vegetarian, you'll have anti-inflammatory health benefits you do it with some meat, call it paleolithic, you'll have health benefits. If you do it with pastas and call it Mediterranean, you'll have health benefits. But real food, close to nature, minimally processed with lots and lots of vegetables. And that's kind of the way I eat. You know, my wife's an excellent cook, Chinese, and so we will have cooked vegetables. We'll have duck, chicken, turkey, meats, and we'll also have organic eggs. And I usually eat a humongous um, raw salad with everything you can imagine in olive oil, vinegar, lettuce, carrots, onions, tomatoes, just every vegetable in the raw. And I eat about a pound of raw vegetables every day. Uh, and I probably eat another pound or so of, of uh, cooked vegetables. And then the proteins and the oil, healthy oils. I always use healthy oils, olive oil, coconut oil um, for, for cooking. And when you cook with oils, it's always important to put garlic, onions, and ginger into them because the antioxidant in that will keep the oil from breaking down for about 15 or 20 minutes, so you don't add it to the acidifying or oxidizing the oil. So those are just a couple things. And, of course, I do my exercise. I taught Chinese martial arts for 30 years, so I do Tai Chi. and I know Qigong and breathing exercises. I do those regularly. Going to nature, going out in nature is very important. My wife and I will go to Longwood Gardens. We're very fortunate. Longwood Gardens is close to us. We'll go out there a lot. Um, and those are just some of the health strategies that I follow. Plus, I take lots of nutrients nutritional supplements, probably something on the order of an ounce of concentrated um, vegetable nutrients every day. And that makes for a very healthy lifestyle and productive clinical practice where you've helped hundreds, if not thousands of people through your career. Alan, for those listening today, how, how can people get a hold of you? If there's a patient out there who wants your expertise or a physician or other colleague who would like to speak with you, can you share some contact information? Uh, and of course, sure. we'll put we this in a, the show notes too. We have a website called Chrysalis Natural Medicine. Chrysalis is spelled just like the chrysalis in a butterfly. Chrysalis Natural Medicine. If you just type that into Google, you'll get right to my website and there are instructions there for how to contact us and all of that. Um, so we do consultations with people all over the world, actually. I would definitely say go pick up his book, uh, the One Earth Herbal Source book. It's it's written in a way that I think both lay people and medical people could uh, really benefit from. And it, again, it's been on my my bookshelf. I don't know. I don't know when you wrote it. It's been quite a while, but it, I think the information is still very relevant 19, today. 1997, 1997. 
Yeah, and some of the stuff is timeless. So it's it's just a great resource to have on your bookshelf. So, Alan, I really appreciate your time today. I think uh, I think we put together a very informative episode for the listeners. Uh, my hope here is just to at least stimulate some thought. He really illustrated for us how simple things like maintaining a healthy diet, exercise, lowering your stress can be important with healing chronic nerve injuries, and then discuss some principles of acute nerve injury treatment. And I think the most interesting thing you discussed there was how you need to get a balance of treating the inflammation, but kind of letting it ride out since it's your natural healing response. And I think that's what's been, that has led to the birth of a lot of these regenerative medicine techniques. We do PRP in the office, placental tissue injections or stem cell clinics and all those really fundamentally prolotherapy. They try to actually create inflammation on a micro level and stimulate your body's own capacity to heal itself. So for me as a practitioner, just what you've told me today will make me hyper aware of how much NSAID I'm prescribing, how much prednisone we're prescribing. Try and find a balance to promote wellness and recovery while treating an individual's pain. So I really appreciate that. And uh, again, thank you so much for your time, Alan. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Back Talk Doc, brought to you by Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates, with offices in North and South Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Lockia and treatment options for back issues, go to backtalkdoc.com. We look forward to having you join us for more insights about back pain and spine health on the next episode of Back Talk Doc. Additional information is also available at carolinaneurosurgery.com.